Good afternoon. Um, welcome everyone to Guru Live Glasgow. Guru Live is an extension of BAFTA's brilliant online resource. Look it up. Uh, guru.bafta.org if you haven't already checked it out and which shares amazing um, advice and inspiration from the best creative minds working in film, games and television. It's also really useful if you're um, going for a job because it also helps outline uh, what the job requirements are, the different kind of job roles you might be going for. I'm absolutely delighted today to have three um, excellent panellists with a wealth of experience um, and tips for you from uh, film. Um, first of all, I would like you to produce, uh, introduce you to Peter Mackey Burns. He is Hello. a director. Do you also write? Badly and infrequently. Um, have you had the opportunity to produce? No. No, I'd like to. Could you tell me a little bit about how you got started as a screenwriter? I wrote a couple of plays when I was young for the Traverse and went to drama school, became a director and carried on from there really. I wrote a couple of shorts, I wrote some terrible features that didn't get made. I met this lovely lady here with a short film and she, you looked at my short script and said, have you considered working with a writer? <laughs> <laughs> and that was it really, that's me. Um, so, how many you recently completed a feature? I did, yes. Uh, I'm of a certain vintage, so to make a, a first feature at my advanced age was uh, a joy. It was a, a good laugh to do. Um, and how many short films um, had you made before you were able to make the transition to feature? Three or four thousand. <laughs> <laughs> uh, about eight, I think. About eight. Um, and would you say it was the last of the eight which was the key to your first feature? I think it, it was, but in a sort of roundabout way. I could, will I talk about that just now mm -hmm. or sure. later? Sure. Um, I worked with a writer, a really talented young fellow uh, called Nico, and we were trying to make a little short together. We were both unemployed, and our agent introduced us. He also introduced us to an actor who was not on his books, but with the same uh, agency, and she was unemployed, and he said, you guys should do something. So we made a short film pretty quickly over a weekend, and we used that as a, as a sort of proof of concept, and we wrote a feature draft pretty quickly based on the short film. We took both of them, and Caroline saw the short film and said, you should meet this producer and you introduced me to a fellow called Tristan Golliger and they liked the short film and they liked the script and they produced the, the film which happened within about a year from meeting them to shooting the film which was great and really fast. We're fortunately we have a clip of your feature film. Would you like to tell us a bit about Daphne? It's a character based um, film and the short film we made was a prototype. We explored the character a bit more over the course of a, a year. Um, we shot it in, I think, 2016. And it's available to rent or buy. <laughs> <laughs> this is not the best clip you'll see if you 
purchase it or even rent it, <laughs> you'll see much far better bits. Uh, I've personally saw it on the big screen. I can highly recommend it. Um, if you are using social media today, before we run this clip, um, can you please use the hashtag, hashtag uh, GuruLive? We'd really like to get your feedback on the sessions today um, and your ideas about getting into film. Um, so we're now going to have a look at a clip of Daphne. Our second panellist today is Caroline Cooper-Charles and she is the Development Executive at the Scottish Film Talent Network and she's also an independent producer. Welcome Caroline. Could you tell us a little bit about how you got started into film? Uh, yes, I sort of fell into it. I had no intention at all of working in film. Um, I was running a training course for people who are long-term unemployed uh, in Sheffield. Um, it, was, it was basically trying to uh, turn steel workers into media gurus. <laughs> wasn't quite working um, and but there was a very there was a very very talented uh, woman on the course called Dawn Shadforth um, and a tender document came round from uh, film four for uh, documentary ideas and I said you know we should, we should maybe like try and do something for this I had no idea about how to be a producer but um, yeah, we, we pitched a proposal and it got commissioned and I was suddenly like, oh, <laughs> we've got to make this thing now. Um, so, yeah, so we made that. I mean, I hadn't got a clue what I was doing. I didn't, the, the, the night before we were shooting the first day, the, the DOP rang me up and said, uh, have we got a call sheet? I was like, what's a call sheet? I had, really had no clue. Um, but, you know, we did it. We got through it uh, with a lot of support uh, in, in, Incredibly helpful, lovely people uh, who I work with, and uh, I loved it. And I just gave up my job, and then realised that um, it doesn't normally work. Like you pitch something, and then someone gives you the money to make it, and spend the next eighteen months living off my credit card. Uh, but yeah, that uh, kind of just knew that that was the thing that I wanted to do. So. Um, and carried on working with that particular director. We set up a company together. Um, and then she went to London and became a very uh, well-established music video and commercials director. She she put highly in those uh, hot pants. Oh. She put highly in highly in the hot pants. Yeah. So um, yeah, but I, then yeah, I continued working with other directors and uh, yeah, that's how I that's how I got into it. Could you tell us a bit about your work on with the Scottish Film Talent Network? Yeah, so, I mean, my career has been... I've, I've sort of hopped over the fence all the time through my career. So um, I've worked for public funding agencies um, and I've worked independently as a producer. So I'm currently working for Scottish Film Talent Network on their feature development slate. So essentially, if you are a filmmaker in Scotland looking for public funding support for your first feature idea. So if you've yet to make a feature, um, I'm the woman to come and talk to. <laughs> um, so uh, yeah, so I work on the script development side. Um, I work generally with teams. I mean, we prefer it if there's a producer attached to a project, um, but sometimes with individual writers. I know um, I've spoken to some people this morning and I, I, it's, a, it's a 
constant uh, plea from people. It's like, how do I meet producers? How do I, you know, how do I find those networks? So, um, so we do work, you know, with with writers who've yet to get a producer attached um, on projects too. So, um, so yeah, my role is is um, not to actually script edit the projects, but to to kind of oversee the development process on behalf of Scottish Film Talent Network. Um, we have a clip from 1745, yeah. um, which was produced through the Scottish Film Talent Network um, Shorts Commissioning Programme. Is there a link there to the feature? Yes, so um, as you said, the 1745 was made through Scottish Shorts, which is, um, which is a programme for, for those of you who don't know, which is aimed at um, kind of new talent coming into, so I mean obviously you have to have done something before but you wouldn't ne weren't necessarily have kind of done anything that has had funding before or got public re recognition so um, so it's kind of a, a sort of a new entrance programme and there's development support and workshops and so 1745 was made through that programme last year and we're now working, Mariah who is the, Akande who's the writer um, we are now developing the feature version of this project with her. So she's working on the treatment for the feature at the moment. That's really exciting. Um, can we take a little look at 1745? Um, I'd like to welcome this afternoon our third panellist, Tommy Gormley, Executive Producer and First Assistant Director. Tommy, how did you get started? I, I guess like most people, I was uh, I, from university, I became a runner on films. Uh, Little films, small films, and I could do from the age of 20 onwards. I worked pretty much non-stop as the, the gopher, T-boy and the runner. And then gradually I, I, I felt a, a love for the AD world. It seemed to suit any skills I might have had. So uh, I made my chosen path and I became an AD on, I suppose unlike most people, uh, get slightly back to front career where I became a first AD quite young. Most people spend a longer apprenticeship being a runner, then a third AD, then being a second AD, then being a first AD. Or by, by happenstance, I became a first AD quite early in my career. So the, 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 the career path was doing tiny films to bigger films to bigger and bigger and bigger films. Instead of, you know, I was probably, I, I wasn't probably, I was definitely very underqualified and I didn't know what I was doing when I first was a first AD, but I did it on little projects and then gradually bigger and bigger films. I did art house, small movies, basically was my training. And then uh, over the years I've ended up working on the biggest, silliest films. But it was a, it was a, a progression which was maybe not, not normal. But uh, from being a runner, yeah, from, uh, from being the gopher, as many of us do. And uh, talking about biggest, silliest films, uh -huh. we've got a clip from one of your recent films. Cool. Do you want to say anything about Star Wars? I, Star Wars obviously was a great chat, was a, a great buzz to be involved in, it was great because it had been many years since any Star Wars films and many years since any good Star Wars films, so it was, <laughs> sorry, offend any prequel lovers out there, but uh, so it was a big challenge and I've worked a lot with J.J. Abrams over the years, I've done all these movies, so we've got a very close relationship and uh, I thought he was very brave to take it on because it was kind of it's very hard to please everybody, please nobody gets, you know, it's, it's a, a really tough, iconic thing to, to try and pull off. So the challenge was huge, but it was, of all the films I've done, it was certainly, uh, you get the hairs in the back of your neck standing up because you're on the Millennium Falcon and you're with Chewbacca, and it's, as a, as a kid who was aware of that world, I remember queuing outside the Odeon at Renfield Street, round the, I remember 75, I was very young, 
it's not a tiny, tiny kids. <laughs> but and all of members of the queue, I remember the queue around five blocks to get to the Odeon. And so uh, that was, whatever your path of career is, it was quite rewarding and a buzz to be on the Millennium Falcon as a middle-aged green man it was very thrilling. So, <laughs> so it, was a bla it was a blast doing it and we had great, great fun doing it and you know, I hope it was a, it was a good film. It was, it was certainly successful, whatever, but it, most metrics. So it was, a, it, was a, it was a blast to do it. Fantastic. So for any of you that haven't seen this already or would like to be reminded of the film, and you can buy it on video as well. It's a clip of Star Wars. Um, in terms of producers, um, I think there's, it's quite difficult, I think, for people that are looking at moving into production or working on films to understand what the difference is between different kinds of producers. So we have two different kinds of producers on the panel. So I wondered if, first of all, Caroline, you could tell us, um, as an independent producer, what that means, and then reflecting on executive producer and your role with the... Agency. Yeah, I mean, I think, <clears throat> I mean, there's so many different types of producers and so many different, you know, strengths and weaknesses you can have as a producer. I mean, my own personal route was, uh, you know, I, I'm very keen on working on the development side, so I'm very creatively involved with projects. I wouldn't say that the physical production aspect is necessarily my thing. I don't like standing around in cold car parks at three o'clock in the morning. Um, so, um, yeah, so that kind of the, the development phase and the edit is where I get really excited. I know all the magic happens on set too, but that's kind of um, the, the area that I'm really interested in. Um, and I guess, I mean, when I've worked for other people. Uh, it tends to have been in a development role. So I work for a company called Warp Films for a while, and that was as their kind of their head of head of creative development. So, but then you know, there's lots of other producers I know who are really amazing on the kind of the financing and legal side, and people who are just brilliant on cast. And so, um, I think you just have to kind of play to your strengths and then kind of back that up by getting very friendly with people who know how to do what you what you don't do. I mean, the the um, the executive producer role for me is is quite different because I've always done that on behalf of public funders, um, and I think it's a responsibility if you if you are in a role of, with public funding attached that you put your own personal preferences about. Um, you know, your own kind of taste to, to a certain extent to one side. So, um, so it's very much about is this the best type of project in this genre or, uh, you know, kind of within this world, even if it's a, it's a genre that you're not, that doesn't particularly appeal to you. You know, is this the best project? Should we be supporting it? And how do we make it the best that it can possibly be? So, um, Whereas, I mean, in terms of what I produce for myself, that's very different. You know, I absolutely have to love it. You know, it has to be the film that I want to see, and I have to believe that it's, I guess, going to change other people's worlds a bit if they watch it. So, yeah. So, as an independent producer, you're allowed um, a creative role, and as an executive, it's more about the feasibility of, like, is the script as good as it can be? Is this a production that's achievable with this? Yeah, and, and it's a, I mean, it's about budget. supporting the talent. It's, you know, it's really about kind of, is this the right project for them? You know, how do we best support people to kind of realise that 
project? How do we help them get it financed? You know, all of all of those things we can play a, a role in. But yeah, putting your own kind of personal taste to, to one side because it's not it's not it's not my money. I'm not spending my money. I'm spending someone else's money, and that you know, and that's spending your money. So um, yeah, so it's really important that we're kind of supporting the best talent and the best project. I was going to go to Tommy next, but I think I'm actually going to go to Peter, because Peter will have been um, working very closely with creative producers, um, making independent short films and with execs. What, what has been your different working relationship with producers as a, as a director? I think I've been really lucky um, working with producers. You know, I, every producer I've worked with, not been that many, maybe, four or five of them, you know, they've all been interested in work, they've all been creative people, and there's one here, you know. Uh, they've all been great, they've all been interested in films, and they've all wanted to make the project as good as it could possibly be. And the producers I, I work with uh, just now, there's two of them. Uh, one comes from a development background and one comes from a production background and between us you know we work very closely on everything you know from the script development the casting the post even on the production i like to have the producers at the set you know and i thought it was a bit weird making the my first film with them then they turn up on the set every day and i thought these guys sort of just keeping an eye on me you know and i got a bit and then I realised, of course, no, they want the film to be good. They know the beats. We've developed the project together, so I, I find it great working with a producer who knows the story beats, who's been through the process, and we chat. And as you know, setting up can be quite boring. <laughs> you know, if you've done the work, if you've got your, your list, you're ready to go. I'd shoot stuff, and I'd go to one of the producers, Valentino or Tristan, and say, did I get the beats in there? Because they know the project as well as I do. They've helped create it. And they'd say, Did you, you wanted that beat there? Did you get it in the take? And I went, ah, I forgot. So it's fantastic working with producers that, that and all producers love the projects, don't they? I don't think I've ever met one that, that didn't love the project and were really excited about it. Tommy, on the big budget features, um, the roll call for producers, <coughs> executive producers, line producers is usually fairly... Yeah, it's huge. Yeah, it's prolific. Could you demystify for us? Because um, um, I don't understand it myself. I, mean, I, think, <laughs> I, I think producers are the lifeblood of filmmaking, they really are, because we've all got our little passion projects and our scripts and our things, and a lot of people room are the same. We've all got that in us somewhere, but producers make it happen. So they're the lifeblood of filmmaking. And, but there's so many now different kinds of producers, as Caroline said. Being the independent person who develops projects, I think, is the hardest and worthiest uh, version of all of them. Uh, I suppose uh, on the big, crazy Hollywood films, uh, you see there's nine names appear, and you think, what did they all do? I suppose I wanted to join them because I was sick of, I felt, doing most of the work, and I never met that person, and they were never there. So I thought, bugger this, I'll be a producer as well because... I actually was there doing it, and you were never to be seen. So, I, so in, over the last five or ten years, I've, I've, I've 
not as a vanity air, I've become a co-producer on films, and now executive producer in the last one or two, and uh, as well as any vanity of being the producer because I was sick of seeing their names and not mine when I felt I'd put so much into the movie. I also now take it very seriously as adding to the film. So my expertise is in the production side. So that's where I suppose it's come from my day job being a first AD. I've just kind of expanded that into having a more a, a strategic view of the film in general. How do we do it? How do we set things up? Who do we hire? Uh, what's, our, what's our ethos on the set? What's our moral compass, if you like, of how we, how we behave? Uh, where do we film it? So I've kind of expanded my production role into a, a bigger thing, I guess, is the best way of seeing it. But there's so many ways of... I mean, you see exec producer titles, there's five of them. Two of them might be people who knew somebody who could raise some finance. One is, has the studio, or is the studio person, but is never there. One might be a guy like me, a... I'm working now with another executive producer. My, my, my co-worker this time is, he does the money side and I can do, do the logistics. So we, between us, we're a good team. And I figure out how these big films are put together. So there's, there's a myriad versions of it. No one's correct. There's probably too many of them in the big films. But uh, so quite what they all mean and to demystify the endless role of producers on a big film now, I couldn't quite explain it. I think it's become a bit of a disease of, of uh, maybe I'm part of it, of uh, people wanting to get their name up and... As maybe some of it comes down to as base as that. People want to get their name up in the main credits of the film. But when it comes down to the crunch, there's usually a creative producer, a la Callan. There's, there's a creative force behind it almost always, or there's a, there's a self-producing director sometimes, but usually there's a creative producer. Uh, there's usually a, a nuts and bolts person like me, or a line producer who's, a, who's more financially astute than I am. And then there is normally some influence from the studio and they will decide there will be some, either the mini majors or majors, whatever company makes the film, there'll be another exec producer representing their interests. Who basically, I guess, like Caroline with public funds, is a kind of gatekeeper to make sure that uh, those people who spend hundreds of millions of dollars feel that their interests are being, someone's got a voice in the room to make sure their interests are being uh, respected. So that's a long way of saying I'm not quite sure. <laughs> um, so when um, this, this audience are going to production and yeah. they've got the CV in and they go to meet with somebody or they're an email exchange, um, is line producer now interchangeable with production manager? Uh, no, it depends on the film. Usually there'll be UPM as often leads to being a line producer. It can be the same person. Uh, often it's not the same person. The films I do, there'll be something that's more than one UPM. But the UPM is the first port of call production-wise, and they are often also the line producer, certainly in a smaller project. Uh, on the bigger films, usually above them is the line producer, who's probably getting an exec producer title or a co-producer title, and they are the final uh, gatekeeper of the money and the purse strings. So there's quite a, quite a hierarchy, but the UPM role certainly is, is uh, the person who's the most nuts and bolts uh, in charge of running the film in the, in the, in the, in the production side, basically. Um, so in the room here, we've got a mixture of different kind of disciplines and yep. craft sets and, and uh, interest in working in the industry. Mm -hmm. um, you were talking, you mentioned just then about setting the tone, the ethos, yep. the working culture on the production. Mm -hmm. What are the key kind of attributes or skills are you looking for um, outside obviously of technical specific to yep. the department? What, what kind of people work well on your productions? Well, I think I was saying today, some of the friends I've met today and, and my new friends is that... Uh, <laughs> To me, it's, uh, it should be de demystified straight away. I genuinely believe from the simplest student film to Star Wars The Force Awakens, the, the process is incredibly similar, 
The skill sets are the same. They're all totally transferable. There's no magic sauce or, or black magic to making any size of film. Uh, all the technical stuff you can learn. You can learn about cameras and visual effects and special effects and scheduling programs and all that stuff. It's 95% about human beings and how, you, how you, you treat other humans and human interaction. So I thought so some cool folks today is like, well, you know, I worked in a bar for three years. And that's the best training you'll ever get to work in a film set because any human skills you've learned doing that job about how you respect people, coax them, make them do what they don't want to do and they don't even know they're, not, they're doing it. All, all human skills are the key to any of these jobs and there is no secret magic uh, ingredient. It's about being a good, intelligent, respectful human being and being somebody that... Uh, uh, each day you go on a film set, because it's, it's a very intense process and it's very hard work and it's, you see the worst and best of humans because they're, at, you know, they're tired and exhausted and stressed out, so all the little masks fall away and you get to see the real human very quickly, I think, at two in the morning. <laughs> no one said it bad about you. You see the real human very quickly because the masks all strip away and that actually, so good human beings who are kind and respectful and actually are grafters uh, become the, the key attribute for me, hiring people. Is I, don't really, I, don't, I don't care so much if you're a mega experienced or I can run this programme or I've learned what's more important is are you a, are you a, a team player and a nice person. Is the, so human skills are everything, I think. And they're all transferable from any other walk of life. I don't think there's any, there's, it should be demystified straight away. Um, Peter, so when you're working on your productions, very much so, you're going to be working very closely with lots of very key people in the crew. Sometimes in the edit suite, you're going to be sitting right next to them for days, weeks on end, um, sharing the same air. God help um, <laughs> what, what, what are the What have you noticed are the kind of um, attributes that those people bring to your productions that make those long hours and those very stressful creative decisions and, and situations work? Two things for me really one, they, they have to be great people that would put up with me because all of the people that I, I uh, am fortunate to work with, they're all much better at doing what they do. They've been doing it much longer than I have, you know? So on the set, I've got the least hours. So when I meet people, I need to meet people who get the project and are enthused about it. And it doesn't really matter to me if they've been doing it for 20 years at my level or two budget, or, or two years, you know, at my budget. I just want people who like the project. And what I try to do is, with those people, learn from them, sit in the room with them. You know, the first editor I worked with after going to uh, film school was a, a guy who lived in Glasgow called Bert Eels. I don't know if any of you know or remember Bert. Well, Bert became a great friend of mine and we'd spend, it was a joy to go to the edit room with him every day because I learned about filmmaking and about life sitting with an editor, you know, for long periods. I learned about life working with a DOP that I work with now, who's a 30-year-old guy whose world experience, life experience is very different from mine. So. In a professional sense, people who like the work, and in a personal sense, people that you want to spend time with. Good human beings. I've never seen anyone have a 
proper strop or anything, you know. I like going to meet people and seeing what they do. I suppose I'm just nosy. It does sometimes happen. People do strop on set. <laughs> I've been lucky. I've been very lucky. Not been on enough sets maybe to, to experience that yet. I hope um, I, I don't. Sorry. So, Caroline, um, keys to success, having really good people skills, also having some experience that you can bring to the production that adds value. You'll have seen quite a lot of new people progressing either mm. under your direction as an independent producer or you've seen them appearing in different publicly funded schemes. Would you say that those are the attributes that um, lead to the success? The ones that make it, the ones that keep going? Uh, I, I would like to think, I mean, I would like to think that, that uh, it's karma, you know, good, pe good people succeed. I mean, hi, there's the... People, people work hard and deter I mean you have to be tenacious I think that's the other thing to kind of to to cope with the cope with the knockbacks they there are a lot of them they come and 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 actually just kind of having the determination and the tenacity to kind of just keep going and I just you know I I, I do have real admiration for people who just you know spend years and years and years and it is a long process particularly if you want to make you know, you want to make your first feature film. It doesn't. It doesn't happen overnight. Peter knows It doesn't happen overnight. Ten you know, years. Ten years. Ten you years. know, from from having an award-winning. I mean, Peter and I worked together on, on Milk, which was a, an award-winning short, a, a kind of A-list festival. But you know, it's still it. it so ten I think years. I think tenacity, is really key. And and also, I mean, choosing to. I mean, it's interesting you saying, oh, you kind of learn learn from people around you. It's really. I think it's really tempting when you've perhaps you've come you've been to film school or you come out of film school to kind of work with the with the people with your peers, the people that you've that you spent time with and you feel comfortable with. But but my advice would be to always try and work with people who are a bit better than you, a bit kind of further along in their careers, partly because it kind of pushes you out of your comfort zone. I think it, it helps you to kind of up your game a bit because you just think, oh God, I've really got to, you don't have to impress your peers, they all know what you're like, you know, but actually if you're working with people and you just think, I've really got to pull it out of the bag here because I'm working with really good people and you don't want to let them down and it's kind of, it's slightly, slightly easier to kind of do that if you're just working with people you've, you know, been to film school with and, you know, you're making a film together and, you know, so, um, yeah. And, and, I mean, I was amazed, I mean, going back to what I was saying earlier about that first, you know, film that I did for, for Channel 4, I was kind of, I was amazed how supportive people I was a much younger woman then, so that might have had something to do with it. But, you know, people were incredibly, you know, everybody around me was so willing to, to just, like, take this kind of stupid woman who knew nothing and, 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 and say, you know, yeah, give me advice and support and not say, oh, what are you doing? You don't, know, you don't know what a producer should do. And so, so kind of don't be afraid to ask. People find it flattering, I think. If you kind of say, I, I really don't know what I'm doing, but you do, so can you give me some help and, and, and advice? Yeah. It's uh, and great to, advice. Gen, generally people, people will, people are nice. I think, I think generally people are good, yeah. Peter, how do you keep going as a writer? What, um, 
structures or what kind of um, tools do you use? Sure. Uh, I, Sorry, I, I, <laughs> difficult question. Um, I hate writing. I love writers. I love reading and I admire what they do so much. I wish I could do it. And I can ha I have a goal, you know? And then it's heartbreaking to hand that over to people and it's not very good. But I think at this advanced age, I've realized that for me, my relationship with it is great. I love reading, it's one of my favorite things. And I know if I work with people who are quite smart at actually getting to the nub of the thing I'm trying to do. Like Caroline, you know, we worked together, didn't we, on something. I had this idea and we worked with a writer as well and I tried to write. And Callum was great at saying, I think that's the sort of thing you're, you're talking about. But ah, of course. So for me, it's working with people who can see the thing I'm trying to do rather than the thing I'm actually doing. If you see what I mean, it's in there. And for me, it's I have to do it every day and it's usually rubbish and I'll find any excuse not to do it. And my current way of avoiding doing it is by just doing it on my phone for 20 minutes, on the train or on the bus, and doing that 20 minutes every day and working with other writers and producers and saying, look. <laughs> um, so I don't do it full time, you know, but I think it's fun. I love it and I hate it. Do you use your phone as a, like a digital scrapbook? Do you do your 20 minutes writing? Do you save links? Do you save images? Or do you actually have like a physical notebook that you carry around with you to capture ideas and thoughts? And I used to, when I went, went to, to drama school and I went to art school, I, I get used to carrying a notebook and writing things down. And my handwriting so appalling, I stopped that because I couldn't read anything. But I think the actual act of recording it and training your eye or your ear or hearing little snippets. I think just the act of getting them down was useful for me, and they come out later. So I used my phone. I bought a little notebook to type the other day. You know, I just plugged it in this morning and stared at it and closed it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to write a TV thing just now, and it's funny, so I, I, this, um, this uh, feature, I like the characters, so, Myself and the producers are sort of using this as a, a proof of concept for something. So I've written a storyline, like a season of, of this just now with the producer, because the writer we, well, the writer we work with is busy writing something else. So we had to say, well, we know the character, we made it, why don't we try it? So we, myself and the producer, we are sort of muddling, pushing it. Yeah. <laughs> back and forth with each other until we have to give it to, or we get a room of writers and we go and run away. So that's my relationship with writing. I like it and I'm scared of it and I respect it. And I can't do it. It's an interesting part of the creative process. It'd be good to, good to look at. Um, Tommy, you work with actors um, probably as closely on set sometimes as the director is in terms of the relationship building. Mm -hmm. um, across all the different scales of productions that you've worked as first AD and you've been on mm -hmm. set, what, what kind of things have you developed in order to um, 
make actors feel at ease and help them with their performance? Probably, I think most actors are actually nice people. Like, like most crew members, I think it's, it's generally a meritocracy filmmaking. I think we all, we all feel the same as on most film sets, it's such a transient job in business that unless you're good, you don't get hired again by and large. So actually, but I believe it's a meritocracy and people who really want it and are talented do succeed. And that happens for crew and for actors. And most actors are actually lovely and nice and actually I love working with actors. I think some ADs in my role have made a profession of, uh, you know, not liking actors, but I'm actually an AD, uh, actor-loving ADs. I love them because I think they're amazing. And I think, I'll never forget what they do each day on the set is they're exposed in a way that none of us are behind the camera. And I never forget that. And what they do is, is, is pretty terrifying on a daily basis. So I find they're usually nice people. And I try to make an environment where they feel they're protected and loved and wanted and, and uh, looked after. Especially, uh, actually, the day players, especially the young actors or somebody who's inexperienced. The hardest thing in a film is to walk in and be the day player actor who's got to save five lines you know, against Harrison Ford. It's like, that's the most terrifying job of all. So they're the ones that need the most uh, love and protection. And so uh, we try to make an environment where everyone is, no one is freaked out or everyone is, is introduced and they're made to feel loved and wanted and they're part of the family. I think a great problem in, uh, certainly when I started in the British world was uh, young actors were never taught uh, screen craft. They were always given, you know, stage acting. So I think a number of actors would come on a film set and would, wouldn't understand what the camera did. Or, you know, if it's a 100mm lens, you don't need to do more than raise your eyebrow and it registers, because they'd never been taught film and TV acting. They'd always been taught theatre acting. I think that's changing a bit now, thankfully. But that was a real problem, I thought. In America, everybody was used to being a TV actor or a film actor, and they, all, they got the nuance of film and TV acting, whereas I think young actors in Britain were done a disservice by not being, uh, not being trained. Or it, Literally, you'd get an actor on a film set They'd never been to a film set in their career. It's like imagine having to come into a film set, you'd never been to one, and then give of your best in front of the camera. So I think that was a great lack when I was, I think it's getting better now, but can still use more help, because it's the most terrifying thing I can imagine any, any of us doing. I certainly couldn't do it and have no desire to. So actors are to be loved and cherished, and to be told when they're misbehaving as well. Um, so if, if I'm... Yeah, if Ian Robertson. <laughs> actor in the room, sort of joke. More actors in the room. That we loved and looked after, and occasionally Ian told off, but not too often. Um, if you're in, if I was a new hire to your production team, yep. and it was my first day, what kind of um, instructions would you give to the? Is, is, do you do you sort of ask the different heads of department to treat new starts, or you know, is there anything around? No, I think it's a rough tumble world and you come in and you, 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 everyone's got their own little world. There's the ADs, everything's our problem, not just one department. But uh, I was saying earlier to one of my friends, it was, it's, uh, it's whatever you, you get back whatever you put into it. So if you're the runner and you turn up one day and you're told to guard that door for 12 hours, one human will find it an intensely boring experience and another human will find something great about it. And they'll have figured out some, some way of turning that into an experience because it's a very privileged place to be in a film set. So uh, I said, I, I, I said, well, you know, oh, you're, you'd never be bored in a film set. There's always something to do. And if that means that you learn every electrician's name today, guess what? That's a very powerful thing. Suddenly you've got power because you know that guy's name up a ladder and you can shout to him and no one else can because no one else has learned his name. So learn all the names in the film set. Make yourself and be a person people are pleased to see in the morning. Be, be a human being who is, brings something to the table. Be a pleasant person who, who actually 
adds something to the, to the experience. So it's pretty simple stuff, I think. Um, Peter, Daphne is a character-driven story. Sure. Um, the actress who plays Daphne is on screen in almost every single scene yeah, and is. is going through a really quite incredible personal roller coaster of part breakdown, part <laughs> recovery, part lost, part win. Can't you say it's also very amusing? <laughs> <laughs> Just in case you've got T95 in your home. <laughs> Lots of swearing. Good swearing. Um, how did you get those performances? How could you keep an actress uh, that, that was playing a part like Daphne going over you know, a number of weeks in such an intense way and, and, and get that really, really strong performance? Um, she's, the actor's brilliant. I mean, I was lucky. I, I, I went to this school in Amsterdam for a while, uh, like a first feature school. I don't think it, 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 it exists anymore, does it? Binger. It was a great school. You could go for five months and you could take your feature project and stay there and work with great teachers from all across the world. So Terence Davies came and he was the directing teacher and had an idea there and he said something to me which was fantastic. He said, just pick the best people, pick the best actors and get out of the way. Let them do the work. So Emily was a pal, but she's also a brilliant actor. So we wrote this for her. You know, and I call myself, we made it for her. And I love John Cassavetes, you know, the, the Greek-American actor, director, and he's this thing with his wife, Jenna Rollins, he'd say, if I know how the scene's going to end, there's no point in shooting the scene. You know, he likes to see where the scene goes, and it's not right for everyone, you know, in every, of course, every situation. But what I really like about uh, Emily and working with her is that she'll start the scene. I'll have written the scene with Nico and I've no idea where it would go. And that was a joy, just to be with someone who was fresh and interested and would never learn her lines <laughs> before she got <laughs> to the set, you know? That was a joy. It was a joy to be around the actors to see how they worked, you know? Did any of your actors um, on that particular project um, have a wobble, lose a bit of nerve? I don't think so. And if they did, they didn't let on. But I don't think so. I mean, they were all terrific. We worked with Callum Crawford, who's a great casting director, and I... Note, note that down, directors, producers, Callum Crawford, good brilliant. casting agent. She's brilliant. And casting director, sorry. They were really great. So some of the actors I knew had worked with before in the theatre, some of them were brand new. Callum said, go to the theatre and see this guy. The guy who, in that scene, for example, I didn't know him. She'd go and see him in a theatre. And I saw him in this great play called People, Places and Things, which is a terrific play about alcoholics and, and recovery. And it was extraordinary, you know? And uh, funnily enough, these people were all great. This fellow, uh, Nathaniel is now doing his own first feature. And I love this with actors now, particularly young black actors. There's no career in Britain for them. Some of them went to America, you know? And some of them here have just start, started to write and direct their own work. It's extraordinary, 
I'm really uh, impressed, really impressed me. So sorry, long answer, <laughs> not the wrong route. Caroline, um, for working in film, when you currently kind of you're in what, from what you know from the shorts programme and from your own experience as an independent producer and in the, the first features programme, what, when you're crewing up or even at the first bit of the primary team stage, you know, putting together a producer, director and a writer, mm -hmm. who's missing? Sorry, I would As in, um, when we went, we did a poll of this room, there were almost no producers. Is oh, that your experience? Oh, yeah, Are you missing yeah. Producers? Uh, yeah, and I did a couple of round tables this morning and that, you know, that, that was, there were, there were, three people out of five on one table who were all writer, writer, director, producer. I mean, largely when I questioned that because they felt that they couldn't find a producer. And uh, it's difficult. Good producers are in really short supply. We need more of them. I wish there'd be more hands raised when we, when we, uh, when we asked about producers because they are, you know, they, you know, Tommy said it's kind of the lifeblood life of, yeah. Of of the the industry and I, I just I the 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 people the the glue that sticks everybody together and it and it's and finding the right producer is not easy and it takes time but it's worth doing because those you know those relationships I mean as we see some of the most successful films in this country um, British films are you know are kind of made time and time again by the kind of producer the same producer director combination you know and and that um that's a kind of alchemy that that's worth you know it kind of i mean it feels like alchemy because it's so so rare but but it's it's worth uh it, it's worth seeking and searching out because i don't i i think it's it, i i mean some people can do it but it's 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 a virtually impossible task to do all of those three jobs it's like how can you you know, how can you really be giving your best to that actors in terms of directing their performance if you're also, one, you know, at the start of your career, the person worrying about whether the catering is going to, whether the sandwiches are going to be there at lunchtime and whether everyone's going to get fed. It's like they're, they're completely different headspaces and I don't think you can kind of, uh, you can do all of those jobs as well as you'd be able to um, do... Uh, if you were just focusing on on one or two of them, I mean, even even you know, writing and directing, I think is a is a um, is a tough call. And most people, when they think really hard about it, know that they're better at one than the other. Peter, <laughs> but but I'm but, good at neither. Yeah, <laughs> but but you know, there's a and, and again, you know, I think directors often at the start of their careers say, well, it's because I can't I can't find any, you know, I can't find a writer that I want to work with that 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 you have to you you have to kind of you have to put the effort in, and it is actually you know when I think about when I started out you know it would the kind of the internet did not <laughs> exist you could and now it does so there's kind of no excuse really that the work is all out there you can see people's work online you can find people you can track down people's contact details in a much much easier way than you than you ever could before so i mean i'm, I'm not saying it's easy but um you know, I think uh, there's kind of no excuses for not trying. It doesn't mean you're necessarily going to find the right, the right person. But um, you know, and and I mean, we help people at, 
SFTN, sometimes when people have projects, you know, they come to us, we can't, I can't find a producer, we can't match make you with a producer. Uh, it's not our role, and, and I've learned from bitter experience that if you match make people in that way, and then it all goes horribly wrong, it's a bit like setting your friend up on a date with somebody that they don't like, and then it's all your fault because, God, that guy was horrendous, how could you have set me up with them? Um, so, uh, but we can help circulate information about people's projects and, and, and we have networking events and, um, you know, there'll be stuff that got the Edinburgh Film Festival coming up. There'll be kind of, there's, there's sort of mixer events and networking events that happen there. So there's kind of, you know, there's, there, there are opportunities, but you have to kind of, I mean, I, I hate networking. I can't stand it. It's like really uh, don't like doing that thing of kind of trying to network in that way. I'm fine when I'm mixing other people, I like doing that. But um, uh, yeah, but you have to, I mean, you do have to put yourself out there a bit and expose yourself. Um, so there's a skill shortage of producers in independent film. Sure. Um, when you're crewing up, Tommy, what are the skill shortages that you're finding across the crew? Which is back to Caroline's point, it's, uh, I think people, because this room's full of obviously creative people who are writers or directors or, but uh, there's great creativity in being a great producer. I think people often overlook that. I think I don't want to be a producer because it's not, it's massively creative. And a creative producer is a wonderful gold dust thing. And so watch, some people should maybe look beyond, I need to be a director, I have to be a writer. The producing world is something which could really use, that, that is the biggest shortage is great producers. I do believe that in filmmaking because there's, there's lots of scripts out there and there's lots of directors of varying qualities and there's a, there's a shortage of producers. So I think people who have a creative uh, desire, as I'm sure a lot of folk in the room have this, don't overlook it because it's a great path. There's also many other uh, jobs in the film business which are also massively creative. Often people bring people to a film set if it's a young person and say, uh, and they won't be a film director. They'll say, look at this film set and there's 400 people here. How many directors are there? There's one. Okay, you're immediately reducing your possibility. You know, guys like Peter of Magic, which is wonderful. You immediately have cut your chances of employment by about 84,000% by saying, I'm a film director. I'm just saying, be open to the possibilities of other great creative fields. And if it's costume designer, if you're a set designer, if there's a million ways of being creative on a film set, you don't need to be the director or the writer. Maybe what you want to do, and that's, that's great as well, but don't shut yourself off to the other possibilities, including being a creative producer, with my advice. Can I just add something on that? I think, I, think part, I think part of the reason why people, some people are put off creative producing is that I think quite a lot of the film schools not everyone, there's, mm. there's definitely film schools that really value mm -hmm. producers, but I think, um, yeah, for a lot of the film schools, you, I don't think you are trained to be a producer, mm. I think you're trained to be a production manager, um, which, is, which is, a you know, obviously a, 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 a great role to have, but, but I think the kind of, the, the creative input of producers is not necessarily recognised at film school, and therefore when people come out of school, film school, they don't necessarily want to go into producing because they don't realise how creative. There's lots of producers, you know, they are they're, they're the originator of the projects, and yep, then they bring theirs. the writer on, mm -hmm. and they bring the director yeah. on, and it's 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 their idea. So especially I, in the TV world, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, God, showrunner, mm -hmm. you're just yep. like so you, you are, yeah, you are God, God. God. yeah. <laughs> Um, thank you very much.
We've now got an opportunity for you to ask questions of the panel. Let's start with you, sir. Shout it out really clearly. Uh, I've just done a short film uh, last year, and it's been great, but I've had to take on all hats of being producer, writer, and director. And do you get kind of burnt out by the end of it? Um, I think the question I was going to ask was, how do you, and you've kind of answered it as well, but how do you attract a producer to join on a project, but also what you said, Peter, about how to get them to, to love it? You go searching, I guess. Yeah. I think, yeah, as Carlin said, you have to go searching and find, again, as Carlin said, you can, the matchmaking doesn't really work because it's such a personal thing. You just have to go out there. It is now easy, I think, with internet. You can go out and look at examples of writing or see other projects or you just need to put yourself out there and it's very tedious and hard work. But I don't think anybody can... There's no fake version of it. You have to find someone who's a fellow traveller and gets you a project and wants to do it. And it's really hard because... It's so hard getting anything off the ground. Any short film, low-budget film, any kind of film, it's, uh, as we are, and many people in this room know how torturously hard it is in the years of your life that you expend trying to do it. So you better find people who are, <laughs> are in it for the right reasons and not for the glory and because you actually want to make something which is meaningful. So I don't know any shortcut to it, unless you guys do. I think you can... I think you know, looking at what else people have produced is a good, you know, I mean, people generally, if, if, you're, if, you're, if you're an independent producer, you produce the kind of films that you, <laughs> that you want to produce. So if you look at kind of people's work and sort of say, not, is that exactly like my film? But, you know, do I like that film? Do I like that, you know, that, that what that producer is trying to say or, you know, what this film is trying to say? I think that's probably the best way of... of at least doing the first sift doesn't mean you're going to necessarily gel with that person, but it's a, it's a good first sift, what else they produced. Um, thank you very much, guys. And it's, it's really affirming to hear that uh, filmmaking is uh, a meritocracy riddled with human decency in an age of Donald Trump and Theresa May, you know, that <laughs> at least in filmmaking, the good rise to the top. Um, my question's really for yourself, Caroline. Um, there's been a lot of studies recently that have shown that there's, uh, the working class voices are missing from the arts. I think it's down to, you know, like 10%, it's near the 10% mark of the working class voices. Um, when I looked at the STFN for making my first short, you had to have either made a short or made a micro-budget feature um, to, to be enabled. Um, and I'm, not, I'm in a position of privilege, really, but I wonder where a when you're looking at the attainment gap, how somebody might be able to apply uh, when they've not had that privilege where they can make their own short off their own back or, or micro-budget or something like that. So the question really is just, how are you going to go about tackling the attainment gap really with, with your line of work and, and the public side of it? Um, I mean, it sort of depends on whether you're talking about uh, Scottish shorts or you're talking about we have we have two strands of support so we have the uh, emerging talent shorts and the feature film support where we are looking because of the level of money we're investing we're obviously looking for people to have 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 done a bit more uh, with uh, with Scottish shorts um, you know the the entry the entry point you need to have done something creative that demonstrates that 
um, you know, that, that, you, that you have a voice, that you have something to say. I mean, Moreo, who wrote 1745, had not written anything. She hadn't got, you know, she hadn't made a short film. She hadn't, she hadn't done anything at that point, but, you know, she'd, she'd, she'd written some stuff. If you're directing, it's more difficult, obviously, because you have to kind of have something visual to show, but it doesn't matter. I mean, you know, even if that's kind of something that you've shot a monologue on an iPhone with, you know, with one, you know, with one actor, that's, that's absolutely, absolutely fine. I mean, I'm, I'm not, you know, I know that makes it sound simple and I don't, you know, I think it, I think those figures are absolutely appalling. I mean, I would kind of listen to the, I mean, they came out recently and I was kind of listening to some actors on the radio talking about it um, and the BFI is just doing a whole kind of season around sort of working class heroes and kind of working class work and, and yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's absolutely appalling, I agree. Um, and, and all but, you know, all we can do is, is to try and accept, you know, certainly at that kind of the, the Scottish shorts level, kind of accept work that has been produced in the, you know, in the cheapest possible way. We can't, we can't say, well, just tell us that you're good <laughs> and we'll believe you. Um, but yeah, I mean, Scottish, Scottish shorts in, in particular, and the, I mean, that's part of the reason that we have a kind of a training programme around. I mean, I know some people who get accepted on Scottish shorts and like, oh, do I really have to do the workshops as well? And they don't want to do the workshops. But I mean, they're there for a reason because, you know, it's, it's, it's when you're making, if, if it's the first piece of funded work that, you, that you're grappling with, you know, you want that to be as brilliant as, as it can be. And you want the people who've not had that advantage, who've not had that opportunity before to, you know, to really make, really, really make the most of that opportunity. So. Hello, thank you very much. Uh, I'd like to just expand and it's more of a dialogue rather than a question. And I'm interested in what everyone on the panel would say. Uh, I don't believe it's a meritocracy. Meritocracy kind of guarantees equality of outcome, not equality of opportunity. And if we're gonna talk about class and people that are excluded, there's a, there's a lack of mechanisms that bring them in. Lots of people have been to film school. If you're not accessing those types of institutional forms of education, working class people are never gonna get into the industry. And there's a lack of mechanisms and access regulators that address those deficits. Now, I work on a project in Glasgow called Blueprint. Uh, and for the last three years of the work, three years running, Blueprint has attracted the largest audiences to the Glasgow Short Film Festival. It sells out the GFT all the time. The, the reception, the way it's received by the public is exponential, exceptional. Yet the institutions that support film ignore it. Uh, and what Blueprint does is it works with people that make films entirely on their own resources, um, di completely DIY. Because like this camera here, the technology has completely changed. But the industry and how it identifies talent and supports it hasn't changed. So you can make a film on a DSLR or a uh, phone. But there's no real recognition of that. And to put it in context, I work with people that um, you know, there's a filmmaker that's completely ignored in this country. Yeah, he's invited continually to Germany to do masterclasses, but his day job is a nine to five in an office, and he's got an incredible body of work that he funds out of his own pocket. I work with someone that's won the Iris Prize, uh, made a film for 400 pounds, yet has been rejected by the SFTM four times. And there just seems to be this kind of massive institutional deficit between people that do really brilliant work but they don't have opportunities because we don't have the mechanisms that bring them into the industry 
uh, and Blueprint is evidence that there's this wealth of talent that is not even on the radar. Uh, and there doesn't seem to be any strategy to bring them into the film industry. So, like, it's, it's less of a question, but if anybody wants to respond to that. Uh, but, I, you know, I'm in a public forum, and I'm the guy that always raises these points because nobody else does. And I feel that I have the, yeah, and the validity, the veracity of the right to do that is the success of Blueprint, yet nobody wants to support it or finance it. I work on it full time for three years, don't make any money out of it. Well, the quality of the films are exceptional, the quality of the impact with the public is exceptional, yet nobody wants to support the project, nobody wants to support these filmmakers. I think I'd, what you say is totally valid. I don't know your own personal project situation. I'd love to hear more about it. Now, afterwards, I can certainly do that. <laughs> I would love to have a beer, but I need to leave. <laughs> I, no, I think, I think for of Means' point as well, I, I'm very aware of it. I, when I started in the film business, there was a lot of here called Nigel, there was a lot of Nigels and guys with double barrel names were in charge of it because it's so hard to do it and the only person that could be a producer was the rich kids who could afford not to work for three years because I had to go out and actually earn money to pay rent and buy food. So, you know, it was, I think, I, I, I do know it's a huge problem. I think it was in my, in my own little, I'm, I'm not in charge of public body funds or anything else, my own little microcosm, yes, it has been terrible, it's getting a little bit better. Inclusivity is a big deal. I just finished, uh, on, on every level, I just finished Wonder Woman uh, uh, before that. And after Mission Impossible, which is a big boys action film, my entire team was female, and pretty much. And did, not because that was a female crew, that was because they were brilliant, and that's people I wanted to work with me. So it's on every level, and there's a danger, especially from Ian's point, uh, you know, it's like the bottom of the pile become young working class white boys sometimes, like, you know, because that's not visible, so that gets totally forgotten about. I, I see all these things. I don't have any magic wand to solve it. I, I would defend my... I do think... I suppose my comment on meritocracy is when you actually do get into the world, maybe I'm, I'm beyond the gatekeeper, but where I've... People have got a job in a film set, and I think the progression can be a meritocracy. I do not deny that there's a massive gap between uh, the possibility of people getting involved in films, and it's, it's very much based on uh, many of the wrong things about where you came from, who you know... X, Y, and Z. I think it's got better. I think it's still a massive issue, and uh, I don't have any easy answers to it. I just think that I hope, I believe that, uh, that when, in my experience in the films I work on, that people do progress and there's not, there's less of the old boys club than there used to be. I hope there is. I don't think that answers your question fully. I don't think I have any answers. I'd love to hear more about what you're involved in, but uh, I hope, I think we all hope in this room that everybody gets a, a fair shot and that it's, there is some le level playing field. I think in society in general, it's a, it's a bit of a, a tall order, I'm sure, but uh, personally, I'm all for inclusivity and everyone getting a fair shot, which doesn't always happen. I, I take your point. That's all I can say. Um, get your filmmakers together. I'll come over and, and have a dialogue with people. If you can get the filmmakers that you're, you know, that you're working with in a room, I mean, if they've applied to SFTN or some of them have applied to... SFTN and not being supported. I mean, we give feedback normally on, you know, on why things are not, certainly from the feature film development side, on why, I always give feedback to people on why the projects aren't supported. With the, with the Scottish shorts, which I don't work on, uh, there's, you know, there's many more applications, so the, there's not the same room for individual feedback. But I'll happily, I mean, if you can get those filmmakers in a room somewhere, I think, you know, in a 
pub or you know whatever i'll come you know i'm really happy to come and and have it starts with dialogue it starts with dialogue i'm really happy to come and 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 meet people and talk to them about you know what SF, sftn is doing the types of projects you know we can have obviously years where we get you know lots of projects of a certain type or um you know i'm, I'm really happy to come and, and have that conversation i'll give you my email well, I think the best thing would be like uh, come to the programmes and watch it in cinemas. Yeah. That's you know, and I know the SFTN is not the same as Creative Scotland. There's a partnership, but Creative Scotland completely wrong. I've been in this building with them. Yeah, they're on the mailing list. Yet nobody comes to the programmes. You know what I mean? Uh, and and they know it exists, but nobody's coming. And when we sell out, you know, because. We do shorts at the GFT that sells out all the time, and now I'm also doing micro-budget independent feature films that sometimes sell out at the CCA, uh, different partners for different programs. Um, but that's, you know, rather than trying to get people into the pub, it's, you know, if you come and see stuff you like. Yeah, no, I mean, I'll happily do that. It's just whether if people want, I mean, I suggested, suggested a meeting because if people want to actually ask ask questions and get advice then I'm, I'm happy to do that I mean, it's one thing watching work but also you know it's people might have things that they want to ask me or talk to me about and it's about establishing a relationship with people as well and understanding the context of their work and you know if if you know how they made it where they made it when they made it what constraints they were work working under you know all the things that we talked about like understanding budget level or you know all, all all those sorts of things so i mean i'll happily i'll i'll happily do that if i i'll give you my email address after the session I'll come um, i'm afraid i'm afraid we're out of time for questions um not at all um thank you everyone for coming thank you very much to our panel um i think there were some really kind of key things that um i'll take away from today you have to love it you really have to love film you want to work and you have to you want to work in it, you have to be passionate about it. It could take a long time. Don't give up, have tenacity, keep going. And most importantly, learn from others. Find other people with other ideas, um, other skills and experience that you can learn from and grow with them. Um, don't forget your ticket today gives you access to the closing drinks from six o'clock on the fifth floor. If you're not already, um, BAFTA has a career starter or student membership. They're both absolutely fantastic. They give you access to special screenings of films, often which aren't on release, um, and also uh, in-person events with creative talent, um, looking at programmes both across film and television. Um, that that programme goes on throughout the year. If you'd like to join BAFTA, uh, the forms at the registration desk, or you can also get them from the BAFTA website. Huge thanks to the panel. <laughs>